Hello and welcome to the Discover Life Young Crisis podcast or the DLBC podcast, as I call it, an irreverent conversation about trauma and mental health. Welcome to this community. Today, we're talking about COVID-19 vaccines, what happened at the Oscars, and uh, for our big discussion today, we are going to be talking about the iconic Tina Turner and her new documentary that is on HBO Max, and I'm excited to get the show started. Emily, how was your week? My week was really good. One thing that was kind of new for me this week is I've been trying cooking. And oh. I actually, I cooked, well, a lot of chicken, mostly. But yeah, I've been uh, trying my hand at uh, cooking lots of different proteins and vegetables, and uh, it's been good. You know, you know <laughs> it's a struggle. You've come a long way from just fried chicken fingers. And That's right. And now adding the vegetables in there. She even used the Instapot. That's true. In I used the Instapot. And I mean, what we need to clarify is I've come a long way from microwaving fried chicken fingers yes okay it was a big step when i found out i could put them in the oven that changed my life a few years ago yeah Yeah, well for me for me it's been uh, you know run-of-the-mill week just doing the same old stuff we finally launched our podcast officially onto spotify onto stitcher and by the time this podcast comes out we will be on apple podcasts as well so if you're already listening make sure that you hit subscribe and give us a review let people know how much you love us yeah so we have a pretty good show i think planned for you guys we said last week that i was getting my second shot of the moderna and i was afraid of the possible reactions but i didn't have any all I had wow. was uh, just a little bit of sleepiness, but I did get into a car accident. So I think most of that was just my body being in pain from that. Got it. But you don't think that the car accident was related to the vaccine? No, because the car accident happened before I got the vaccine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just somebody... making sure. I didn't want to accidentally make some sort of claim uh, <laughs> connecting the two. <laughs> you mean you don't want to make any crazy proclamations that aren't supported by science about vaccines and uh, the different things that they may or may not cause and their connection to Q. No. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love making connections to Q, but no, I, um, I think there's more than enough of that going on out there, which I think we'll get into that. But I just have to say that you're kind of a jerk because I had a terrible reaction <laughs> to Moderna and had, I mean, I guess in the scheme of things, it definitely made me think, wow, I really wish I never, or I really am glad I never had COVID because just reacting to the vaccine for a couple of days was pretty terrible. But there you go. Anybody that's got anxiety about getting the vaccine, just be like Mason and have no, uh, no, you know, no, no reactions. You'll be fine. Um, Might mean that your immune system is broken, though, just so you know. Maybe. Or who knows? Anyways, Dr. Fauci this week was being interviewed and questioned about 8% of the people who are getting vaccinated are forgetting to get their second dose. And people were thinking about the different reasons why they might not get their second dose. Maybe they're forgetting 
maybe right the Johnson and Johnson stuff, you know, maybe that played a recent role, but I don't think, you know, I know for myself, it was something that was actually pretty uh, stress inducing because I did not want to forget to be on time for my second dose. <laughs> right. Like yeah. the day, the days leading up, you know, I was having trouble sleeping because I have a fear of like sleeping oversleeping through important things and i haven't done that actually a lot at all um but maybe it's because of the fear of that but i so you have like an an ongoing fear like at different points in your life of like sleeping through something important yeah or just missing it okay yeah it's not the same as like your fomo because i'm not really afraid of (laughs) like missing out it's like just the fear of not getting that important thing done and i guess you know i i don't know and it's not like you know i don't have any fear about the actual actually i do hate needles that is something that um has uh brought me um some anxiety but you know for i'm not an anti-vaxxer um i'm not somebody who denies the the Existence the use the exists yeah well <laughs> just the existence and the usefulness of vaccines and how big of a role that they've actually played and I know that you know some people but I know some people who are not getting vaccinated and I just don't understand why and it goes back to they just think this whole thing's a hoax and and that it's not that bad yeah there's people that think that and then there are people. I mean, there's people that are specific about not getting the COVID vaccine and then others that are just won't get any vaccines, you know, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Any vaccines, period. There's a lot of different reasons. I mean, some of them have some like maybe allergies or like my mother, her doctor suggested she not get it because of all these allergies that she has and some of the, you know, and I mean, I appreciate that the doctors are being careful about those things, but it's like a case by case situation. Well, and and that's a perfect example, not to get too much in the weeds on this, but that's a perfect example of there's already allowances and protocol for people who have allergies, who have had a history of bad reactions. And that's why herd immunity is so important. And that's why I think everybody who is able and healthy enough to get the vaccine, I think they should. But for our next, going into our into our next subject, the Oscars. Now, most of the time, the Oscars are a much larger deal for me. I don't know. It's really? more like an, I don't think I knew that about you. No, I mean, it wasn't like, it, it's something that I like to watch by myself. So you don't, like I, you don't get like a tux on and like no, no, get no, all by, for your Oscar night? Okay. No, by, you know, kind of like important to you know, it's it's just something that I like to take note of because it's a discussion point um, that many people um, talk about. A movie that I liked won Best Picture is called Nomad Land, and you know something about me, and our listeners are going to learn something about me is I am obsessed with tiny homes and like van life videos on YouTube. And Nomadland actually followed the life of a woman who, after the death of her husband, 
decided to go and live live in a converted van to simplify her life and it's a great movie i did not expect it to win an oscar not that it wasn't that good i just didn't think many people were interested in that i thought it was just like a weird thing that i was interested in but that wasn't like the big upset uh the big upset was uh chadwick bozeman yes yeah, that was uh, pretty interesting, actually. I definitely thought that he was going to win Best Actor. And they actually I heard some discussion about the Oscars and people were talking about how they had changed the order of the categories to mm. have that one be last. And so the speculation was that it was to do sort of a, a special ending that it, knowing that it was going to be Chadwick and it's going to be an honorarium kind of a thing. And then it wasn't Chadwick. It was, you know, Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. He's a sir, right? I don't know. Uh, I don't anyway, know if the, he is a sir or not. I, feel like, I don't know if he's you know been what? knighted. In my heart, he's a sir. Also, did you know that like his friends call him Tony, which is so casual <laughs> and fun? But <laughs> I almost like, feel oh, like it's hey Tony, you know. I almost Seems feel weird. like it's too casual. Yeah. So the late Chadwick Boseman lost to the legendary Anthony Hopkins and I'm you know I I only watched the highlights of the Oscars and do you remember what Chadwick was what movie he was up for I don't even remember no. the movie <laughs> <laughs> but and I I didn't watch the movie I don't know what movie Anthony Hopkins was in it for either I've always loved Anthony Hopkins this is only his second Oscar. He's 83 years old. Only his second Oscar. I guess only is, you know, maybe that's not the word. But as long as he's been an actor and as good of an actor as he is, because he's a classically trained, you know, actor who his biggest role was Silence of the Lambs. But Chadwick, you know, losing that, I'm sure that you know, I'm torn um, because Chadwick was a very good actor and and leaving, you know, his death left a, a large hole, I think, in Hollywood. Right. You know, I think that he had uh, much he had many more years to give and many more years of success to enjoy. And he was taken too soon. And and Anthony Hopkins, the gentleman that he was, made some comments in remembrance of Chadwick Bosman on his Instagram page. He didn't actually attend the Oscars for COVID reasons. So he right. was posted that a few hours later uh, from his home in Wales. And Anthony Hopkins is forever a gentleman to me as much as I would like to see uh, Chadwick. Yeah, see, I haven't seen it, uh, either of the movies that they were nominated for. Me but, either. Uh, just uh, for the FYI, the movie that Chadwick was nominated for is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. No mm. idea what that's about, but apparently he was great in it. And the internet is mixed on whether it was a snub or not. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. I mean, it's hard, you, you know, because Hopkins is a great actor. Anthony Hopkins is just such a great actor. So it's hard to like make that firm determination so before we move on to our main discussion today which i'm actually very excited for i just wanted to 
again, talk to our listeners um, and remind you guys that Emily and I are um, life coaches um, that specialize in helping folks, individuals, all of yous um, who are um, walking uh, this road of recovery and overcoming. And we want to invite you to take a 30-minute life coaching session with one of us. Um, And you can do that by going to our website, um, www.dlbccourse.com. You'll be able to schedule one of those 30-minute coaching sessions with us. In that coaching session, we can guide you in some next steps, whether uh, next steps is something outside of our help or um, next steps might be to continue coaching with us. Um, We have coaching where you can buy them on an individual basis. You can buy packages um, and then bundle them up. And we also have our online course that's going to be launching very soon. And then there'll be bundling deals um, when that happens. So stay tuned for that. And then uh, we want to invite you guys to join our community on Facebook and if you go to facebook.com slash DLBC today, you'll be able to see updates on stuff that we have going on and, you know, feel free to contact us on there, comment on any of our posts. We want to hear from you. Now, today we'll be talking about Tina Turner. Now, Tina Turner, she is iconic. She at first, her she made a big break with her husband. Ike Turner, and it was Tina and Ike, or Ike and Tina. I can't remember which one came first. Tina. Is it Ike and Tina? Of course, he yeah, went first. Yeah, it was Ike and Tina. Jerk. <laughs> um, Ike and Tina review or something like that? Something like that. And Ike, in his own right, recorded the first rock and roll album in existence. And when he met Tina, she showed him that she can sing and they became uh, not just a duo, but they became husband and wife. And there was a documentary that was recently done about Tina Turner on HBO Max. And if you don't have that, I'm sure you can steal a steal your friend's login. I suggest that you watch it. And I think Emily... You could also like ask your friend. You don't have to steal it. You can just ask them to borrow it. Or that. Whichever works for you. <laughs> Is, you know, I thought we'd encourage positive behaviors, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, and just, you know, for Tina, Tina Turner and Ike Turner, they found success as a duo. And then at some point in their, well, I guess throughout their marriage, Ike was abusive. And it was something that Tina kept away from the public until one day she found the strength within herself to say no more. That's not the life that I want to live. I want better for myself after beginning to, to chant um, from a friend who was Buddhist. And from that, she was able to find strength to be able to fight back. With One Ike. thing that was kind of interesting about that part in the, like, I loved this documentary and always have been like since i was a kid a huge uh, tina turner fan but that part where she was talking about the chanting uh-huh. um, and it might have just been the way that they cut the documentary but when they showed some of her like call and response chant that she would do with the crowd which is like a classic tina turner thing in her performances 
Uh-huh. I was like, that is really cool. Like that, that empowering thing like came out of, I know that she like figured this out through Buddhism or from her friend, but then it's like, I don't know. Like, I didn't even know where that came from. I just thought she one day was on stage and was just like making noises. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like an intentional thing to feel empowered. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and she grew up singing in church and in Baptist churches. I don't know, you know, where her faith lies today or even then, but she did find strength in chanting and but when she left and got divorced from Ike, she got nothing. She got no money, no house, nothing was, she didn't get anything. The only thing that she wanted was her name because she knew that with her name, she can rebuild something. And it wasn't until her 40s that she made a comeback after divorcing Ike. And it wasn't until the the notorious song, is it notorious or the well-known song anyways, What's Love Got to Do With It. For those of you kids that are too young to know who Tina Turner is, I'm sure that you've heard the song What's Love Got to Do With It. And if you don't, go to Spotify, go to YouTube, whatever, search What's Love Got to Do With It, and you'll hear it and you'll be like, oh, that was on this movie. Because it was a song that was playing, you know, all through my childhood um, on the radio and different movies. And even now it still shows up and all of this, you know, she lived in when it's all said and done. I think the position that everybody would take is, you know, at her at, uh, I think now she's in her late seventies mm-hmm. yeah, and I think 77 or something is what she is what they said when they were filming the documentary. So she might be closer to 80 now. She lived a good life. She was successful, but there was always something that was haunting her. And and it was her own story of abuse, her own story of trauma. Right. And she had the upbringing. So like she grew up in a traumatic situation of being physically abused and seeing abuse around her. And then she went right into that situation with Ike. I think she was 16 or 17 when they, when she yeah, started she singing 17. with him and he transitioned it from being like friends to, okay, we're going to get married because of, he needed to get control even down to, like you said, her name was something that he assigned to her. That's not her birth name. He gave her the name Tina and built this whole empire on the back of her name and her talent all while physically abusing her and mentally, you know, and emotionally manipulating and abusing. And I mean, I've always heard that story about her, but I did not realize the gruesome nature and extent of it. And even hearing like her sons talk about, um, one of her sons talked about uh, seeing um, his father, Ike pouring or I guess not really pouring, it was probably much more aggressive, but scalding hot coffee on her and causing these burns. And even in that moment, he didn't apologize for throwing the coffee on her. He apologized that it burned, you know, that it was such a severe injury from it. And just talking about all of that. And so for her, she had this stage life that everyone saw. And then outside of that stage life, it was hell. It was complete torture for her for all of those years. But she didn't talk about it really openly until like she was in her, I think it was until the 80s. So like right before her 
comeback was around the time that she talked about it. And it didn't seem like, I mean, you can correct, like, I don't know what you think about this, but it seemed like the reason that she told her story was because she wanted to stop talking about Ike. She wanted to stop being reminded of it. She actually, I think the, the one person that interviewed her for that, you know, kind of opening that story said, it seemed like she wanted to tell it in such a way that it would clarify it completely and she wouldn't have to talk about it again. Like, now I've told it, now I can move on. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Yeah, she couldn't run away from that past. And as much as she wanted to forget about Ike and forget about the pain and reliving that trauma, she was constantly being asked, even now, you know, in the documentary, she was being asked again about the story. I don't think she made it as clear maybe in other documentaries that I've seen about her or at least you know it wasn't made you know maybe it was edited out of you know things that I've seen before about her but this is the first time that I've we've gotten like a really good picture of how much pain it puts her in even just to talk about it again she doesn't want to be back in those years. And we know, you know, from um, research that the brain doesn't know the difference between a relived memory and something that's actually happening. Like it's very difficult for the brain to distinguish between the two. So, you know, she, as they're asking more and more probing questions, I imagine that she's being re-traumatized by having to relive those moments. And um, she thought, you know, when she was at the height of her her comeback, again, she couldn't get away from Ike. And, you know, part of it was, you know, back in the day, it was because they had been, you know, Ike and Tina. And now she was by herself. Well, now she, you know, in her comeback, it was only her. And they kept on bringing it back to those years before. So they decided to write a book. And she was thinking like, okay, finally, if I put it all out there, if I give them all the details in this book, then I'll never have to talk about it again. And it wasn't the case. And uh, people continue to ask her about it. And the hard thing is, and I found this to be true in my own life because I've shared my own stories of trauma, but people will express, you know, how much it means to them that she overcame that, that she fought her way out of that abusive situation. Right. And so it's like, which is absolutely true. Like when I was watching it, even hearing the story again and hearing about her, I just thought what a strong person she is. And, you know, was very inspired by it. But the interesting thing is it's like, she now has become this, her story now represents the ability to get out of that kind of situation or to overcome that. And for her, like, it's not that for her. So it's almost like something that is so, I know like for me, even like my stories of trauma and things that I've been through, they're so, it's so vulnerable and personal and an experience that even no matter how many times I tell it, the listener really can't understand all the, the experience of that moment. But they're receiving what they do receive. And even if it's giving them encouragement or it's helping them to feel empowered, their reaction isn't like it. It can feel like your experience is almost being minimized and turned into just this symbol for something symbol for overcoming or 
almost feel like, yeah, I don't know. It just makes it feel like it's not, it, it separates it from your personal experience and creates this separate entity of her story. Like there's Tina and then there's Tina's story. And um, I think at one point in one of the interviews, she was even talking about like, it's almost, or no, someone was talking about her telling the story and they said her story is almost no longer hers. Like it's yeah. kind of taken on a life of its own, its own thing. And even when she made, you know, they uh, made a movie about it, right. Um, which starred Angela Bassett as Tina. And there was a, a moment where they're doing like a press release and all that. And she's sitting next to Angela Bassett and someone asked her if she had seen it. And she says, no, I don't want to watch that. Like, why would I want to just watch and see that violence? Like, essentially, she's like, I experienced it. Why would I watch it dramatized? And, like, I just thought, even that moment, I thought, what a funny question to ask. Like, mm. who would watch that? You know? Yeah. Like, I already been there, done that. I don't need to watch it again. So. I think uh, if it were me so and somebody making, you know, a story about making an, a movie about what my family had gone through. I think the only reason why I would watch it is because I'd want to make sure that it was a good quality, but she was not even, she hated her story. And I don't want to take away from her strength and I don't want to take away from what she was able to overcome. But I don't know if, you know, some of you are listening and kind of feel this way, but I know like for myself, and it seems like Tina Turner had this as well. She didn't want to be defined by this crappy stuff that happened to her. You know, she was a much better talent. Like um, her talent should have overshadowed everything that um, she had gone through. And, you know, some of it was because of the times, you know, she was a woman and she found her first success uh, in the shadow of a man, even though she really outshined him and became really the, the star of the duo and then was able to come back, you know, and when everybody was telling her, you know, her dream was to be black female rock star at 40 yeah. years old. And they were like, you can't right. do it. And she's like, I'm going to do it. And she did it. And at the height of that, they're still going back. And I know f for myself, I told you guys before that I work in a church and there are occasions where I have opportunities to preach in front of the church and a lot of people want to know more about my story. They want to know more about the stuff that I went through. And, you know, I'll share a little bit of it. And as much as I feel comfortable sharing, the thing that I hate is the way that people look at me afterwards, uh, especially the women, especially, you know, <laughs> older mom types or grandma types or like, they will have this look like, oh, poor baby. And I'm like, I'm a 33-year-old. Right. Like yeah, I'm like, I'm a 33-year-old man. And, you know, that stuff that I went through, it sucked really bad, but I came out of it. And I don't want to be defined by those things. Those things are things that I couldn't control. And the things that I can control in my life, like, I want to be known for those things. Um, right, like, not to be known as, like, oh, wow, you're doing really good for someone who was in foster care or you're doing really good even though your mom died. Like that kind of vibe, like it's just completely separately from that just to be known as like I am a successful person, 
not yes. in spite of my circumstances, but just as an adult, I've done these, I've had these accomplishments. Yeah. Emily and I both have been working in nonprofits for a while. Uh, Emily now works for uh, a law firm representing schools, but in our nonprofit work, fundraising is one of those things that's like, you kind of look at it as a necessary evil. But the thing that I feel most uncomfortable in those situations is when the sharing of what we do becomes exploitative of the people that we're serving. And I'm coming from a place of like, you know, I've overcome it. And so I'm willing to share my story so that people who are still in it don't have to share their story. But so many times I remember just like the, almost the tug of war with our executive director of wanting to share stories of kids that I was working with and, you know, they're, you know, they, and wanting to share that, that result and me just not feeling comfortable with it at all. And, you know, I feel very strongly that, you know, like their story is theirs and, we don't need to exploit it to be able to do what we do. But we continue to disagree on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a way to tell, you know, like successful results of a program without sharing someone's personal story. And that is even for me, like, I feel the same as as you said about sharing my own story. And I think that there is, there can be great, healing for myself and help to others in sharing my story. But I think that it's very important that when you get to, and if anyone, you know, maybe is at this point in your journey of finding, um, of overcoming crisis and trauma, when you get to a point where you're feeling good and like you want to offer your story to help others make sure for me, I had to make sure that I'm in control of when I tell my story and how my story is told. I've had my story told by different people that they, it wasn't my story. Like <laughs> they thought it was my story, but the way that they, the light in which they shared it or the way that they used it or the conclusions that they made off of it weren't, they weren't accurate. It wasn't true to what my experience was. And those kinds of things is, it actually ends up being for me more traumatizing. It just kind of re redoes that trauma. And um, I think that, there is huge power in sharing your story and telling what you've been through and how you came through it. But if you aren't in, con like that is your story to tell you decide when and if you're going to tell it and to who and how and all of that kind of stuff. Now, of course, if you've made a choice like you did, which was to write it down in a book that's out in the world now. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you don't really have control over that, but how do you, now that you're at that point in like you've written your story and it's out in the world, is there any way that you still sort of have, do you have any control over it or is it just out there for interpretation? Well, I mean, there's definitely boundaries, you know, there's, I put it out there on the book and I do speaking engagements and speak at different things and people want to want me to share parts of my story. And I do, there are some parts that I don't. And there's even some stuff that I didn't include into the book because I didn't want those things to be touched. I was very vulnerable in Dad in a Day. I was very vulnerable in 
and Discover Life Beyond Crisis um, in the book and both of those books. But I decided early on, like, these are the places that I that I was not going to go. And, you know, I think that, you know, you sh- there can be strength that you can derive from it. You know, me and my roommate, we were having a conversation and, you know, I was just sharing a little bit of like my past and a little bit what my book was about because she didn't know that I'd written a book and um, shocking, I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so uh, weird. I thought that you would have mentioned that like in the interview to move in. (laughs) How do you feel about living with an author? (laughs) A Uh, two-time author. (laughs) Yes. You can find my books on Amazon. And then I told her about my book release and somebody asked me, you know, if you could go back, would you change it all? And some of us who have gone through trauma of overcome, you know, we wear this badge of like overcome something great, you know, something really big. And you know, I should be acknowledged for that and the good that I can do as a result of it. You know, that's like I it becomes an identity and I don't want that to be my identity at all. I don't want those things that happened to me and happened around me and happened in my family. I don't want that to define who I am. And so when somebody asks me, you know, would you go back and change anything? And I said, I would change every single part. Wow. Yeah. Because when I look back at, little five-year-old Mason, little two-year-old Mason, 10-year-old Mason, you know, when watching my mom trying to end her own life, I don't care how many people, and this, I'm saying this selfishly, like, I don't care how many people I could help as a result of living that experience. (laughs) I would have rather not. Right. You're like, I would rather, I would rather help five-year-old Mason. Yes. And not have him go through that experience than to have the yeah that is it right because it's like well if you didn't have your trauma or if you didn't have your life experience then you wouldn't be who you are now um which is true except i wouldn't know that i'm not who i am now because i would be someone else also do you know what's going on in my head right now (laughs) exactly you know (laughs) do you know what it took for me to get here today to have this conversation with you like like The anxiety, the, you know, battling depression as a result of all this stuff that I couldn't control. And you want me to wear it as a badge of honor. You want to say, well, you're so brave for overcoming that. I didn't overcome it. I like just wasn't destroyed by it. It's still right. A lot of it. It's like we survived. Yeah, we survived. And I think I'm doing really good for the stuff that. I went through and my family went through, but I'd rather not. And I'd rather be known for the work that I do. Now, some of the work that I do is intertwined into, you know, like this podcast and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of intertwined and I've done that to myself willingly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But it's not the only thing that defines me. And, you know, I don't want anybody to, to feel bad for me. As a result. Yeah, that is one of the things that is difficult for me is that no matter how much it feels like no matter how much you overcome, no matter 
um, how far, you know, I'm going to be 35 years old here soon. And some of the things I talk about were before 10, you know, yeah. and no matter how far away from that I get, I'm still seen as like, oh, look what you survived. Or I'm, I'm still seen as this like broken person mm-hmm. who has fixed myself. Or ha- who has been fixed by others, depending on who's um, <laughs> who's telling the narrative. <laughs> yeah, who's telling the story. But either it's like neither of those are labels that I want to have. I don't want to be a formally broken person. I think every person has difficulties, and every person, regardless of what they've um, gone through, has those issues. So to label someone as, oh yeah, you know, like. She was a hot mess, but, you know, mm-hmm. she's got it together now. It just feels very, <laughs> you know, feels very belittling and very like it limits my potential. You know, like there's a ceiling or something there where it's like if somebody needs to hear my story so that they can find their way to the next step of their journey towards health, then I'll sit and talk to them one on one any day, all day. You know, like that's there for it's absolutely there for them to learn from. But. I think that it's, you know, maybe this is a lesson that we can all take to not view people by what they've been through, um, but to try to actually get down to the heart of who someone is and to to see them as that first yeah. and then let their experience be second. Yeah. And, you know, as we are coming to an end for the show, I feel like there can be so much more discussion on this and maybe one day we will. And if you feel like you have some comments, feel free to comment on our Facebook. But Everything that we talked about today, I want you guys to leave with several things. First, your story is your story. You don't have to tell it. You can tell it either way. It's up to you. And if you don't feel comfortable telling your story, I hope that you're able to find the confidence and the strength to be able to say no. You're allowed to put boundaries in what you share. And, and, you know, at the very least, you know, if, even if you just share with loved ones, you know, just to bring some understanding of like where you are, I know, like, I don't know about Emily, but you know, when I'm with somebody at some point comes the conversation of, you know, yeah, I went through all this stuff, but this is how it plays out in my life, you know, choosing it to be there, but also understanding that telling your story can come at a cost. When I was writing my book, you know, I had already gone through therapy. I had already done a bunch of the work, but I re, I almost re-traumatized myself in retelling my story. And that was something that I did not expect. And it took some time afterwards going back in therapy and reprocessing everything to be able to get through it. So understand that telling your story can come at a cost, you know, just to your own mental health. And so make sure that you're in a place where where you have the support you need, um, whether that is professional help, uh, like a therapist, psychiatrist, and then also having support of families, family and friends around you. Be sure that you have those things in place. Yep, absolutely agree with all of that. And One other thing to make sure you take uh, from this podcast is go listen to What's Love Got to Do With It. It's uh, a great song. It talks about a, uh, you know, a secondhand emotion. 
go watch Man. the movie what's love got to go do with it with angela movie. bassett as tina turner oh, and then on. uh <laughs> you know watch this documentary on hbo max um yep yeah it's so that's tina, right it's called uh it's called tina yeah um, well, that's all we have um, for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to uh, being with you next week. Thank you for listening to the DLBC podcast and a reverent conversation about trauma and mental health. Bye-bye.